Hi everyone and welcome back to the Nympho Life podcast. I'm your host Polina Kirichuk and today I'm here with an intimacy and pleasure coach, Brittany Tugas. Hi Brittany. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm so excited to be here and so excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. I'm also very excited. And I would love to ask you as the first thing to introduce yourself and the work you're doing, all the amazing projects you have so we can learn how you help other people to live better sex lives. And then I'm excited to discuss all the topics that are connected to this. Absolutely. So right now, the work that I do is really in liberating women. And I do that in a variety of ways. I'm a speech language pathologist by training. Mm -hmm. And I work with transgender women to learn how to express their authentic selves in voice and in their body and their expression. That is through a method I founded called the Haven Voice Method. I have studied sexuality just as something that I'm obsessed with. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by <laughs> for over 10 years. And a few years ago, it sort of reached a tipping point. And I realized that I had knowledge that um, no one is a, a true expert and knows everything about anything. But I had knowledge that people didn't have and that had changed my life and that I felt desire to share. And so I started teaching about intimacy and pleasure and helping women reclaim the innate power that I think we all have as women and as humans in our sexuality and our expression of it through a company called Pleasure Sorcery. And then in 2022, I accidentally co-founded a radical expression ceremony for women with a business partner called Women Who Roar. And all of this sort of snowballed uh, very divinely, it feels like. It was sort of channeled through me. I began my career in public relations. I was raised in the Southern United States in a community that was very heavily Christian, very repressed, even though that wasn't my family culture. It was the culture of the area I was raised in. So I feel like from very early on, there was this war between me of recognizing the power and the, the sacredness of sexuality and the gift it is, it's literally where all of us as humans come from. And what I was being taught and told about sexuality was really hard for me to reconcile. And then uh, after my son was born, I have an almost nine-year-old son. After he was born, I had this experience of having this glimpse of what it felt like during pregnancy and birth to be in my full womanhood, to feel like I was embodying my sexuality and I was, I've never felt sexier or more beautiful than I did then. And then to be shoved into motherhood, which our culture here in the States does not do much to support women or new parents in navigating, it was, it was abrupt. And it took me a number of years to sort of get back to myself and feel like I was who I feel I am again and exceeding who I thought I was. And I, it's really my mission in life to help other women live as their most embodied, alive selves. Great. Thank you. I would like to ask you then about how you got specifically into this field and decided that this is what you want to do in life to, to work in the sexuality field and help other people specifically in this realm, let's say. What was the trigger that you decided to connect your life and I don't want to say career because it doesn't really feel like a career because it feels like a purpose more. Um, 
to make this your purpose professionally, let's say? Yeah. Well, I didn't want to. <laughs> honest. I resisted it for a really long time. I discovered early in my exploration of my own sexuality and in my earliest sexual relationships how deeply powerful and transformative sex could be in ways that I hadn't been told or taught. And I also had all of this messaging about sex being shameful, sex being something that, you know, you don't talk about and no education whatsoever or conversations about pleasure. I mean, for those of you listening, I invite you to reflect on what you were taught to even call your genitals when you were younger. I was taught to call mine my private parts. It didn't even have a name, which, mm -hmm. you know, from the earliest conceptualization of that part of our body, I think a lot of us are unintentionally taught, you know, oh, we don't talk about which I was as well. So when I realized upon completing my first Tantra workshop at 27 that, oh my God, can I swear on your podcast? Is this Definitely. Cool. <laughs> Holy shit. This is something that I felt this soul pull to and I didn't know what it was, but something in me lit up in going to that workshop. And all the workshop was, Polina, was four hours of intense eye gaze with strangers mm -hmm. and going through these very intimate sharing practices. It wasn't even sexual. It but was men intimacy, and women, right? It was men and women, but the vulnerability and, oh my gosh, the discomfort of those experiences was something I wanted more of. And mm -hmm. so I had conversations with people after the workshop asking them how they learned about this. How can I learn more about this? And... My partner at the time was not very interested in doing things that were that uncomfortable. So I put it yeah. on the back burner, like so many of us do, who are called to something inconvenient. And then years and years later, it just kept coming to the surface. It kept coming to the surface. I kept experiencing things that I wasn't told were possible to experience and having these, these healing experiences in sex that I didn't know were possible until... Um, it reached a tipping point in 2021 that I, it was during the pandemic. I went into a deep dive. I don't know what you did during the pandemic, but there were a whole lot of virtual workshops in my pandemic <laughs> life. And one of them was on orgasmic living. And I think it was that workshop that modeled for me that it's safe to talk about this. It's safe to educate women about this. And if it was a gift to me to receive that workshop, what a gift could it be for other women to receive what I have learned? So I hosted a workshop virtually in February of 2021 and women attended from around the world. And that was what I needed to see. First of all, this is needed. This is helping people but still there was a barrier and I couldn't quite get past all of the previous programming that I had that that I, I knew that if I did this work, it would have to be public. And yeah. I wasn't ready for my grandma to know that I taught women how to have transcendent orgasms. I wasn't ready to, to interweave that with the work that I was doing at the time, which I was as a speech language pathologist for kids. And like, how was I supposed to be a mom a respectable parent and teach women how to experience transcendent orgasms. So there were all yeah. of these things that I had to find a way to integrate into myself. 
And like with anything else, the more you step forward into the unknown, the more the path is revealed and the more you learn to trust yourself in the process. And um, it's been it's been an incredible journey. And I'm so grateful that I'm so grateful I was both resistant to it for the time I was, because I think that it gives me a great deal of empathy for women coming into these conversations for the first time, because I was her too. Yeah, I admire you a lot for doing this, for taking this leap. And um, I hope you also give me bravery to do the same. I'm always uh, been, let's say, public, but within circles of friends, how I relate to sexuality and that, you know, sex is the topic that should not be uh, shameful to discuss in almost any occasion. So definitely you... Uh, you inspire me to do the same, and it's it's great. I'm really I'm really happy to do this, and I'm sure it influences a lot of women in a positive way. I've found that to be true, and I think it's the feedback from women. I think that every time, even still, even doing this podcast, there is still that little quiet part of me that fears being too much. All of us as women have been conditioned to fear being too much. Don't be too much or you'll be abandoned or lose love or, you know, rejected. Um, you'll die is is really our survival brain. But I've found that the more I talk about it, the more I share about it, the more I create invitations for women to have these conversations exactly as you're doing. Women want permission to be sexual beings. They want permission for their bodies to be celebrated. They want permission to divorce themselves from their the expectation that their sexuality is performative and for another. It's for you. And yeah. women crave opportunities to talk about that because there aren't spaces and mm-hmm. that is safely able to be shared and where conversations can happen about that and they're needed. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for inviting yeah. me. Always. Actually, to elaborate on this, uh, I always felt like I'm too much in terms of my sexuality, but not in a way that I would, you know, feel sorry for this. But because I was growing up with this concept that men from from media, you know, from TV series, movies, pop culture, that men want sex much more than women. And then when I started living my sexual life, I realized that Basically, I never had, almost never had the partner but who would want the same amount of sex as me. Not that I tried to suppress it, but it was just really weird for me that no one is talking about it. And there's this standard that is also created in your head. And that's why I guess many women start thinking that something maybe not wrong with them, but they are somehow abnormal in their sex drive or how much they need sex to be fulfilled. Yes, I think that's a really important point. And there are some women, it women fall on both ends of the spectrum. It feels like the more conversations I have about this, the more prevalent it becomes that women think there's something wrong with them for one reason or another. And in that in that example, women who have a high sex drive and do desire more sex believe there's something wrong with them because the media And society tells us as women that, you know, men want sex, women, women don't really want sex. And then the women who, who don't have a very high sex drive, 
they're more sensitive to the media telling them that women are supposed to be sexual and that men won't be satisfied if they don't want sex yeah. at the same rate that they do. It's like there's really no way to win. But the the underlying the underlying lesson in all of the, this, I think, is that there's nothing wrong with any of us. <laughs> like some of us yes. have higher sex drives and and sex drives fluctuate. They're not static. There have been times in my life that my sex drive has been in the toilet. And there are times that it's been ravenous and all of that is normal all of that is your mm-hmm. body communicating to you and none of it means there's anything wrong with you that's true that's true as well okay let's uh circle back in time a little bit i would like to ask you as i also asking all of my guests because i think it's important to talk about sexuality in terms of how you first encounter any thought or image related to sex could you maybe talk about this a bit if you remember what was your first sex related memory um an encounter that is a really good question i the first time that i was exposed to something sexual was probably from a movie i mm-hmm. am a i grew up in the 80s and i remember seeing the movie Dirty Dancing at a much younger age than I had any business watching it. I'm sure my parents understandably thought that I would have no idea what was going on, and I didn't. (laughs) But there's a lot of material in that movie that is adult material, nothing explicit. But um, it also ignited in me my lifelong passion for dance. So thank you. Oh, that's great. (laughs) But I I was obsessed with the movie Dirty Dancing from the time I was three years old. And I think it was not necessarily because of the depiction of sexuality, but because dancing in the the themes of my life, dancing is really um, vitally important to me and how I express myself. And it is a way that we as humans express our creative or sexual energy. And I think that that was probably my first exposure to anything sexual there were elements of that movie again that were explicitly sexual but mostly it was just this draw this pull to this expression of this energy I recognized but didn't have any understanding of until much later in my life which was sexual energy and you already mentioned that you basically did not have any formal sex education in school right or there was how was it in the U.S. at that time when you were so, in school? That's a good question. It was, it, my mom brought me to a class about puberty and, um, you know, what to expect as I was going through puberty. And I think it touched on sex a little bit when I was 10 years old, which my mom mm-hmm. is very progressive. Um, I am so grateful to have had a mom who was not shaming and who did invite these conversations and opportunities for me to have permission to understand my body because uh, a lot of a lot of women don't don't have that but in school a lot of our education in Greenville South Carolina circa late 90s was abstinence focused you don't have sex but there was also at that time I don't know how it is now the inclusion of STI and pregnancy prevention. So mm-hmm. we learned about condoms. We learned about how sex physically worked, but we did not learn anything about pleasure. We didn't learn anything about 
intimacy, which is something completely separate from sexuality. We didn't learn anything that would help us navigate this very vulnerable terrain that is human sexuality. Um, so it was very, uh, very primitive, I would say. But I also recognize there I've met adults who had no sexual education whatsoever, and they got theirs mostly through porn, which yeah. porn is yay porn, but it's not its goal its objective is not to teach you how sex works yes it's so entertainment it's there for <laughs> so what it's there for yeah unless it's some porn aimed at education i actually uh, discovered are... mm-hmm. some projects that yeah uh, there was a berlin based project which was i think called school of porn something like this but basically it was independent adult mm, actors who got together and they created like classes online classes on um the oral sex anal how to have a threesome but in consensual way you know about communication so this is great to more of that more of that right yeah Yeah. like even it could be not formal like format of it let's say but it still should be uh, somehow yeah helpful and not mainstream like it is now it's interesting because I only had in my in Belarus at the time we had just one class, forty-five minutes, and that was it. And it was when the go- the guys were split from girls, and we only learned about yeah, basically they didn't show us how to put condom on. It was uh, okay, this is uterus, you can get pregnant, and you can get an STI. So yeah, also better not don't have sex at all, <laughs> and nothing else. That's so funny. I forgot. Yes, it was separated girls from boys, which I actually think is a good idea. I think that especially in the formative experience and introduction to sex, that it's Mm -hmm. important to, I mean, that's what I do now is I work with women and sort of go back in time and like, let's, let's, let's take to the experience of how you were taught to talk about sex and only do it with women first. I think that it's a good idea to separate, you know, in whatever way it makes sense at this point to separate because gender is a construct, but to have containers where the people who are in the container feel safe discussing. We did that too. We had one week a year, Polina, where we would have a class every day about human sexuality and then we wouldn't touch the rest of the year. (laughs) It was just like (sighs) sex ed week. Okay, we're done. We did our duty. Let's move on and get but back it was, to, I don't know, one, biology. Once, uh, once per semester? How often? Once a was year. It? Once a year. year. When, How many years? I think it started in, I think we went to a one-day thing in fifth grade and then sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. It was once a week in middle school, those three years. And then I don't think it was touched at all in high school, which high school wow. is the perfect time to have relational education classes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we had it. I think it was 10th grade. So everyone was pretty much 16 or 17 at the time. And there was this just one 45 minute class once. Wow. And that was it. Wow. Yeah. So people were already, you know, having sex, some of them. But uh, yeah, it was so, you know, looked down from the students that would make, come on. We already know all of this. Give us some more information. So, And it's interesting to think through now as an adult what we were learning as impressionable young people about sex from 
from that experience of it only being one class for 45 minutes or it only being one week of the year and only these three years, it was teaching us subconsciously that it's something that you don't talk about. It's not part of your experience yes. on a larger scale. It's something that you know you sequester from the rest of your life as much as possible, which is something that I, I know you and I are trying to turn the tide of. Definitely. Uh, but also to elaborate a little bit on this, on like separation, I think it's definitely worth uh, separating, as you say, based on your experience as well for women and men, of course, maybe to feel more comfortable in the group, because also maybe there will be some kind of power play that guys would be like making jokes or something. But on the other hand, men, a lot of men know nothing about, for example, menstrual cycle. Or stuff like this, like biology. I saw this TikTok the other day and didn't know about this case. So the first female astronaut that NASA sent to space for six days, they gave her a hundred tampons. <laughs> and it was a girl comedian like singing a song and playing on the piano. And she's like, 100 tampons. And this is literally our nation's brightest mind. They are literally rocket scientists. <laughs> Oh, that song. Oh, and call that now that you mentioned it. That's a really good point. I think I think that there's room for both for conversation yeah. in spaces where, you know, you might need to feel understood by all people and not be educating other people by you sharing. And there's also I think I think you're right now that I reflect more on it. There is probably huge missed opportunity to create opportunity for different genders to have conversations together that would have been an exceptional thing to model and you know give yeah. practice in in doing during those classes yeah we should we should you want to you want to revolutionize sex education in schools polina i think i would love to here <laughs> <laughs> honestly i would love to i would love to great whitney then let's move on to the next part and which i'm very excited about it's the uh, most exciting part about life i think in general let's talk about orgasms let's talk about orgasms you define five different types of orgasms right yes could you please introduce us to what they are and yeah basically what they are those five types so i there are every orgasm is different there are a multitude of types but in my framework which i teach in school of sexual sorcery i break down the five types of transcendent orgasms i've identified transcendent orgasms are orgasms that have the capacity to in some way heal rewire transform they leave you a different person or with a different experience of your body and your power than you had before them. And the five types that I teach are extended clitoral, which are clitoral orgasms, which um, a lot of most all women who have experienced orgasm, their introduction to it was what I lovingly refer to as a ding and done, which is the steady rise, the peak, and then the immediate fall. Yay, ding and duns are awesome. Love ding and duns. No shade to the ding and duns. And the extended clitoral is an orgasm that can go on and on and on and on and on. So mm -hmm. that one. Uh, the second category is G-spot squirting or gushing, 
which a lot of women I have realized think is mythical. They think that it's something that only happens in porn. And certainly there are some cinematic liberties taken in some yeah. pornographic content as far as, as how it happens. But it's totally possible. It's something that I think all women in these bodies, all women with vulvas and G-spots have the capacity to experience. I've worked with women who did not know that they had the ability to do this and they learned the same day that they did. So I think that that's available for all women in these bodies. The third is cervical, which is often deeply emotional. There's uh, a lot of trauma that we carry in that part of our body. And the cervix is the literal gateway to where life is created. It has a really important physical and energetic job. And when our bodies feel safe enough, when we feel open enough, the types of orgasms that can be elicited in that area of our body are incredibly healing and cathartic. And a lot of those orgasms are more emotional necessarily than, than physical sometimes. A lot of mm -hmm. women will report that after them they just dissolve into tears or they scream into the, the pillow or they like go into laughing fits oh so, my god i had this yes <laughs> yeah you this you hysterical know, you're like ah, and you yes, can't stop it's the first time if it happens you're like oh my god what the fuck's wrong with me yes <laughs> so this is this type is cervical right that's how you yeah and okay. all of these sort of can blend together right it's not mm -hmm. like you go into i do not prescribe going into any sexual experience by yourself or with a partner with an itinerary like i would of like course. this and this and this and shopping list clothes with cervical no these are just types of orgasms that you can invite your body to be open to Mm -hmm. um, orgasm isn't achieved in my world, it's invited. So those are the three, the extended clitoral G-spot squirting gushing, which are in a category themselves, mm -hmm. cervical, third, and then you have non-genital breath energy orgasms. So these are orgasms that you can invite without genital contact. These can be done with no contact at all. These can be done just through your breath. These can be done by being touched on parts of your body that you would not think <laughs> would yeah. lead to orgasm, like neck or behind your knees. Um, so that's category four, non-genital slash breath slash energy. And then the fifth one I like to call, there's, there's no hierarchy for orgasms. They are all equally wonderful and amazing. I do call these the holy grail orgasms because like I... I didn't know they existed, but these are the ones that can go on for like 10 minutes, however many minutes, just go on and yeah. on and on. And that's number five. So those are the five types of transcendent orgasms, which isn't to say that it's a comprehensive roster of all of the orgasms possible, but these are the ones that I've identified that women have capacity to invite that can change your life and change how you feel about your body your relationship, your sexuality, change how you show up in the world. They are powerful. And in the in the workshops that you are having with women to teach them how to invite all these different types of orgasms, how do you approach it in general? Do you first, of course, I imagine introduce it and then do you give some exercises or homework, for example? What is your approach to then um, teach women 
how to achieve, sure. how to invite, sorry, all those. Yeah. So I see transcendent orgasms as a byproduct of safety, trust, and presence more than something that you set out to accomplish and stake a flag in. So I start in a way that is very far removed, honestly, from from what you might expect, which is perhaps some people listening to this would assume that it's, it's more um, strategy and technique. We start way back at the beginning of learning to establish awareness of your body, how to be aware of the incredible messages that your body is always sending you. Because a lot of women have learned to shut that down and numb that just to just to survive. Um, and it's not your fault if that is you. That was 1,000% me to the point that my body started shutting down and I was forced to learn how to listen to it, how to trust it, and how to honor the messages it was sending me. So we start very foundationally with just establishing connection with our body, building safety and trust in that experience, and then learning how to express the things that our body is communicating to us as invitations. Because in sexual experiences, those are really physically and emotionally vulnerable experiences in, in yeah. all cases, no matter if it's just you you know, in a self-pleasure practice, whether you're with a partner you're comfortable with, whether you're with a partner you're not comfortable with, they are emotionally and physically vulnerable. And what happens to all of us, I, I feel confident saying this because I still do it sometimes, is that in the moment, we will often lose touch with what our body is actually saying and we'll say yes when really our body is saying no because we want to say yes but we don't actually mean yes but it's not done consciously yeah um transcendent orgasms happen when you're fully open fully safe and fully in your yes so if there's any part of you that is constricted or that is a no to that you can't just muscle your way through it so we start with learning foundational skills to build safety, trust, and presence that then snowballs into these incredible experiences that are possible once that is established. Yeah. I wish I found you earlier because my journey to orgasm was kind of also shaking. I can tell, tell us about it. I would love to hear your experience. It's actually, it's actually why also the main reason why I decided that it's worth uh, starting this project, you know, and also sharing my experience because I was always super curious about sex and I thought that it's the coolest thing ever. And when I lost my virginity, I was 19. So it wasn't that um, young, let's say. So I was super hyped and I thought, and I loved sex since since the um, moment I started having, I mean, not the first time, of course, but <laughs> in the beginning, but I could not reach an orgasm but I loved the process so it was still I would never say no to sex and it was the most still the most inspiring and pleasant thing for me but at some point you know maybe two three years down the line I started questioning okay what is wrong with me it took so it's I'm not new to this anymore but I still have not experienced this and then of course my first uh, solution was to go ask my girlfriends what how do you feel? How the orgasm feels for you? And all of them would be like, 
oh my god it's like it's like a wave going through your body or like thunderbolt or you know you see god and all these crazy things like stars through the eyes or you know when there's like birds flying over your head like in the disney cartoons and i was like wow i really want to achieve this but i don't know how and every time i would have sex i felt that i reach a certain point and i cannot like go overcome this threshold anymore and it was the same when i was masturbating i would like achieve this point reach this point and i felt that i'm too sensitive to like go further and i cannot like break through so i thought the orgasm is basically behind this breaking point and it was going on for like like yeah i think like two three years and then one day I was meeting my friend, my guy friend with his girlfriend, and he told her uh, about this, not a problem, but this thing I have. And she asked me about this or something. Like I heard from him that you have this. I was like, yeah. Um, And we started talking about it. I was like, how do you think? Oh, yeah, sorry. Just to go back a little bit. Besides asking friends, I was also reading, for example, Cosmopolitan, how to, you know, how to achieve an orgasm and most of the advice or like tips where you have to masturbate more get to know your body because if without knowing your body you cannot basically tell it to your partner and i was like yeah but i masturbate every day <laughs> since i was like 15 <laughs> it's not my case anyhow then coming back to that day i asked her how do you feel uh, when you are experiencing an orgasm and she's like it's very simple I feel that my muscles are contracting, like in my in my pussy. And I was like, oh my God, but I feel this. And this is exactly what I feel when I feel that the orgasm is behind this and I cannot overcome this. So it blew my mind. And it's like, because I realized that all this time I was having an orgasm, but because I thought it's something else, I was just not noticing it. And it was crazy. And then since that time, I started focusing not on, oh my God, what is this? But on this muscle contractions, like to get myself to the point that I feel this. And after I understood, okay, this is how to get there. Then I opened my way to all these crazy, mind-blowing, mind-shattering organs that everyone was talking about. Amazing. So... So yeah, that's why it's so important to me, uh, this topic of orgasm, because so, so much of it, when you haven't experienced something, you can imagine that it's something else based on right. again, popular culture, like magazines and stuff like this. Uh, and I think the way what you describe, how you teach about it to yeah, first focus how you feel and maybe not create some sandcastles or like already aim for something crazy life-changing but first focus on yourself and maybe teaching that orgasms are different not all of them are so mind-shattering is what helped me to realize that yeah there are different types and it can be different orgasm is not always this kind of crazy thing but once you gasp the small ones the maybe soft ones then it's the way to to greater greater ones so thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's really important for women to hear. I've I've heard from women who have never had an orgasm in their life before. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that all those women do a lot of what you did. They think there's something wrong with them. They, you know, are researching, you know, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? Um, 
I would love to hear more about your experience and what happened once you made that shift and had that realization. I would also encourage or invite any woman who's listening to this that resonates with your story or you know, doesn't know if she has had one or doesn't know if she can to invite pleasure in ways that aren't sexual. Learn to experience pleasure in your body in non-sexual ways, um, in ways that don't have any expectation. Learn to masturbate in ways that are not with a, a goal in mind, but just to be present to the sensation that you feel in the moment. Because when you have presence and you can lean into that sensation of pleasure, be it in a sexual moment or not in a sexual moment, that's how you build your capacity to hold more pleasure. And that's how more and more of it becomes available to you because you sort of stretch this container that can hold it. Yeah. Paulina, when, so you had this, you had this recognition of the contractions were happening, but there mm -hmm. wasn't that experience that was accompanying it that you were expecting. What was it that, that shifted in you or in how you were approaching it that allowed you to have the experience in addition to just the physical? Uh, well, I kind of, my approach is to become more aware of when it's happening and kind of focus, shift my mindset from that it should be something behind this, what I'm experiencing to this is it. And with that, I managed to intensify this. And then, of course, uh, I mean, it was maybe like a couple of years afterwards. It was uh, probably just relationships where I felt safe and trusting, which I think the best way to, you know, discover your body and, of course, feel the most intense emotions sometimes, especially when it comes to, you know, deep, deep, intimate experiences is with someone that you love. So, so that helped me. That helped me. And then, of course, then again, with more experience, with with time, you already learn how to do it by yourself and also maybe with other partners as well. Yeah. So, so definitely it's, it's very, uh, it's very helpful, I think, to talk about it and everyone's experience is different. Mm -hmm. um, my thing was that I never met anyone at the time who would have the same problem or who would overcome this in the same way that I did. And that's why it's important for me yeah, to share this maybe for someone who has the same Absolutely. experience. I'm, I'm so glad that you're sharing it. And I'm sure that there are a lot of women, a lot of women who are experiencing something similar and who feel really alone in it. Um, even among my girlfriends personally, it wasn't until only the past few years after I was doing this work publicly that those conversations became comfortable and not avoided yeah. in my friendships. So to have to have conversations with the people who are in your circle that you could invite them with is not always an easy thing to do. How I approach it is that because I'm I'm always start, you know, being open myself and people see that they can trust you with their kind of vulnerability. So it, it invites people to talk about it. To talk a bit more about the orgasms, sure. uh, you mentioned already briefly the squirting orgasm mm -hmm. and that it's uh, my question to you, because I personally, I, I think I had it, but it was not as it's portrayed in porn, not this fountain of liquid. I know already 
the background that it's not be that could be content because it's the liquid is producing uretra, right? Um, but the amount, like I heard from some podcasts with porn stars that they drink a lot of water and that's why you see in porn there is like all this liquid what is your take on this is this uh, is this first of all is this more like physical orgasm let's say or it also uh, by stimulating the g-spot or it's still uh, let's say facilitated with emotional state in which you are during sex that precedes it and if there are maybe also different subtypes of uh, squirting organs with more liquid, with less, and if if it can happen also like they show it in porn done by professional uh, adult movie actresses. So the safer you feel, the more open your body will be and the more responsive you'll be mm-hmm. in general. So if you don't feel fully safe or fully open, you're going to be more restricted in what's available for you to experience because your body is not as open, it's not as responsive. Um, so safety safety is always, I think, foundational in, in experiencing truly satisfying connection and sex, regardless of the type of orgasm, if an orgasm happens at all. Um, as far as squirting different types, there are different amounts. Some women uh, produce a little bit some women produce a lot, um, so it it could very easily depend on level of hydration. A mm-hmm. lot of it is is just individual bodies and what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that with some learning of how to invite it, women can learn to squirt more profusely. Um, Squirting and orgasm, as we think of orgasm, when we say orgasm, a lot of people associate that with pleasure climax. And certainly squirting and climax can happen um, in tangent with one another, but squirting is not necessarily climactic. I do, Mm -hmm. however, still consider it orgasmic because it is a release. So sometimes there is a climax with squirting and sometimes there's not a climax with squirting. Even with ejaculation in men, ejaculation and orgasm are actually separate. Men can ejaculate and not, I'm sorry, they can orgasm without ejaculation. They have to you know, teach themselves to do this. But the same is true in women. So female ejaculation and orgasm, as we think of it, are not necessarily the same thing. They yeah. can be, but not always. So um if those of you listening who are curious about squirting if you've never done it or you're curious to learn how you could become more adept at it um i would suggest doing a a corrected kegel i call it so sitting on a hard surface and feeling the muscles between your sits bones and your pubic bones so your pelvic floor uh-huh. just bring awareness to the sensation of your pelvic floor against the chair and instead of tightening it like we're taught to tighten our muscles when we do a kegel yeah like tight pussies are out we want articulate strong <laughs> as pussies fuck the tight pussy we don't need that tight pussies <laughs> are, are are not where it's at uh, we want pussies that can 
tighten and relax. And learning how to relax is really, I think, a key part of opening your body's capacity to have these types of orgasms. So to learn how to do that, you're going to sit on a hard surface, bring your awareness to your pelvic floor muscles, and instead of tightening, you're going to try to lift that pelvic floor sling off the chair. So you're going to tighten pulling up like it's on a string. So pull up, hold, release it, and then really release it. See if you can feel it almost like weighing down into the chair a little bit. So you're not just releasing the tension, but you're practicing really relaxing those muscles. And for those who have maybe tight pelvic floors, um, there is a product I have recently discovered called a cooch ball. It's like a small dodgeball looking thing that you can sit on. Uh-huh. I can help stretch those muscles. I haven't tried it, but a lot of us have very overly tight pelvic floor muscles. I at one point did and had to learn how to do these properly, learning how to relax and not just tighten. It's that yeah. relax that's going to help you because when you are getting close to ejaculating, squirting, gushing, first of all, you might feel like you have to pee. That's normal. Um, Pee before you engage just so you can have peace of mind that you don't actually have to pee. But what is going to trigger that is your allowance of those muscles to relax, whereas instead of contracting inward, like happens with a lot of orgasms, when it contracts, it contracts more outward when you're squirting. Yes. So there's more of that focus on the relaxing motion. That's a that's a great tip. Thank you very much for this. Absolutely. I will definitely also take it as my homework. Yes, and those of you who try it, um, hit me up in DMs on Instagram. I'm at Pleasure Sorcery. I want to hear all about your exploration of squirting orgasms. Yes, definitely. I will link all the all your profiles down below. Beautiful. Um, next topic, uh, which we touched upon already a little bit, is the shame. And in general, I would maybe combine it with being self-aware. Some men and women equally have maybe not not that uh, not, are not that comfortable in terms of their self-esteem or the body image. What are some tips that you give to first of all work with that? Because I understand that this is kind of the groundwork, right? That you lay down is the first one is kind of relationships with yourself and um, getting rid of the concept of shame towards your own body, right? Yes. So first of all, I think it's important to recognize that whatever shame any of us feels about our body or our sexuality is not indication of something wrong with us. It's really just a story that was programmed and it's stuck and that we have learned to believe and that has more power over us than we would like to. We didn't put it there. Um, Often the ways that it did get there, sometimes they were intentional, but often they weren't intentional, which doesn't invalidate that they are there. But I think just giving, looking at the shame as an observer and with some compassion and some grace, recognizing it as a story and not as something that defines you is an important step in creating some distance from it. Um, going back to something that we touched on earlier about what we were lear- what we learned rather to call our genitals, a lot of us were taught to call our genitals cutesy names or euphemisms. 
I have met very few adult women who are taught their genitals were called a vulva. I've met a number who were told it was called a vagina, which is actually the the birth canal that connects the vulva yes. to the cervix and literally translates into a place to put a sword. So it has a very patriarchal wow. origin. Whereas vulva, which is the external genitalia largely responsible for female pleasure, was not named in most in most young girls' experience. So ladies, if you're listening, your external genitalia is your vulva. Your internal canal is your vagina. Your yes. vulva is your external genitalia. Say it with me now. Vulva. Vulva. All right. Vulva. <laughs> so I think naming our genitals out loud, especially when it's done in groups, I do this in my workshops, is incredibly powerful. It seems so basic, but until you think through the implications of what you were taught to call your genitals, you don't really realize how for a lot of us that was unintentionally, again, shaming. What were you taught to call yours? I know that it was not in English, so I won't have Yes. But for some of your listeners, they might. Uh, I think it was also like not, let's say not biological name, just like a casual slang, let's say. But also, I think I didn't even know the word vulva until I was in my 20s already. And it was also a surprise for me that this is not a vagina even. That, oh, that yes. as I said, vagina is inside and the whole organ, let's say, is a vulva. Which is, yes. it's crazy. It's like a basic biology. We all know this is a nose. We all know this is an ear. This is an elbow. But when it comes to, if you were to put a group of little girls in a room and ask them to label body parts, if you were to get to genital, like, what is this called? I think it's changing with our generation of parents. Um, but in my generation, we would all have different names that we were calling that part. Yeah. So I think that getting comfortable with naming your own anatomy dissolves a lot of pre-programmed shame. It doesn't do all of it. But mm -hmm. if you are someone who has not like looked in the mirror or turned to a friend, which no one does this but me, so you probably have it. <laughs> and said, like, as a practice, like I had like this is my hand. Here is my uh, belly button down here is my vulva and like you don't have to show them but naming it as you would name body parts as a child will normalize that part of your body and give yourself permission to call it by something and to inhabit it great and as we already also you, br you briefly mentioned i'm also very curious about this in general sex education and when it comes to how we received it and of course what can be improved especially the concept of pleasure that is not part of sex education you as a mom what are some other things besides naming the body parts including genitals as they are what what is your approach to um, teaching your son to be open to this or maybe not now i guess you mentioned he's eight He's, he's eight, almost nine. Yeah. This recording. That's a really important question. It's something that I reflect on a lot as a mother, especially a mother of a son. I feel like I would be much better equipped <laughs> in yeah. some ways to raise a girl because that's my lived experience. But I think it's no accident that the universe 
gave me a exactly. boy. That's been an edge of growth for me and much needed and such a gift. Um, but something that I try to strive for as much as possible is to be mindful of how I'm speaking about my body. So this means that there is no talking about food in a way of there being good foods and bad foods. We talk about foods having you know, nutrients our body needs. I don't talk about, you know, I've been bad, so I have to go to the gym. I don't use my body or speak about my body as something that I use to uh, punish myself or, um, you know, that I treat in any way other than with reverence. So I try to yeah. model that for him as much as possible so that he learns that his own body is sacred. When it comes to That's pleasure, cool. I, I won't ever tell him, you know, don't touch any part of your body. We talk about how, you know, this part of your body is, you know, it's, it's not for others to see or touch. Anyone, no one can touch your body without your permission. So when yeah. we go to the pediatrician, we go to a pediatrician who asks for consent before examining him. That's great. That's great. Wow. Yeah, building. I never thought of this. That that's how it should be. Also, mm -hmm. so building in experiences where he learns it is normal and necessary for there to be consent when he before he is touched or before he touches another is hugely important. But when it comes to more specifically regarding sexuality, as he's going to start exploring if he has not already. The the um, framework that I like to use is you can touch your body in any way that you want in privacy. And if if he's in the bathtub and he's, you know, like if you have a child, they're going to be curious about their bodies instead of saying, you know, don't touch. We don't touch that part of our body. What you can do instead is, oh, it looks like you'd like to explore your body. Would you like me to bring you to your room so you can do that in privacy? So giving them permission yeah. to explore their own body and creating a container for them to do it safely in a way that doesn't violate any other's boundaries um, is something that I try to do. And, you know, I'm I'm we're all learning as we go, especially when it comes to parenthood. But I've learned from other parents who have gone before me and continue to do so. So. I'm I'm open to to other suggestions if listeners have them. I actually heard this one, uh, which I also very much resonated. It was I heard it on the podcast. Um, it was also a sexologist mom talking about this, how she teaches her son about uh, also to be basically comfortable in his, his body and his sexuality. And she started when exactly what you said when he was like three or four to teach him that only only you know your mom your grandma and and only your family can touch you or like you know give uh, the, get access with your permission nobody else right. but that also crazy thing she said that um you know there are some parents who are complaining that kids run into their bedroom and catch them having sex and then they th that was exactly my experience you know i call my parents having sex like three times because oh, I was yeah. just so open it, yes. But I mean, for me, it was at the end, I was like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> they were pissed because I already knew what it is, you know. So yeah. uh, for me, actually, it affected me in a good way because I saw that even after 40, you have to have sex. I mean, it, it's healthy to have sex in a happy family. So that's a really so healthy way to look at it. <laughs> it showed me that, okay, that that's what I want, you know, for myself as well. So 
but the but my parents of course were like no close the door why are you not knocking and she said on uh, this sexologist lady that how can you expect a child to knock to get into a room if you don't do this and i was like oh my god this is true my parents never knocked you know on my door i think it was yeah. even always open because i had like a couch bed like and it was always you couldn't close it and I, it blew my mind as well because i never thought of this and i was thought that it's so right to you know teach that to a kid like just simple things like knock on the door and ask if you can come in instead of just like breaking in yes modeling modeling consent and honoring boundaries so that they learn to do that too that's i don't think my parents ever knocked my dad yeah my mom didn't yes see never thought of that yeah right that's what you also hear probably did a knock and then an open like a no, no, no waiting for for response. <laughs> if you... Right. It was more like, I'm coming in. <laughs> Great. Let's then talk a little bit more about, I would say, argue the most challenging part of all of this when it comes to sexuality, which is communication. Oh, Lord, this is a hard thing. For right? Me. <laughs> yes. Same. No, honestly. Totally. I'm... <laughs> I think it's really the more, even if you are open, uh, openly talking about sex with your friends or others or public is still, I think the most challenging to talk about it with your partner somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where it's most charged. It's most, there's most at stake. Yes. Why do you think is that? And again, what kind of advice you give to, to women? Uh, and is it even something also you, you touch upon in your workshops i do i do focus um in school of sexual sorcery on communication frameworks because until you can feel safe sharing what you're learning how to tap into in your body it's going to stay within you and you're going to bottle it up and it's going to come out in other ways that aren't really productive so in learning how to express what's true for you and what's coming up in your experience and share it and invite someone else into it that's how you open up opportunities for deeper intimacy so um as far as conversations about sex if you if you think about sex as you know something that is deeply enriching in the life of both yourself and your partner it's really important for it to be fulfilling to both of you and you go into a conversation as a team with that as the goal for this to be as fulfilling and life-changing as possible for both of us how can we make that happen together i think that it dissolves some potential for there to be um, hurt feelings or defensiveness or fear of rejection there's it's hard to make sex neutral it's yeah really it's closely tied to our experience of our own humanity. I think that's why sexual assault is so deeply wounding because it attacks really the source of where we as humans came from, which is sexual energy, sexuality. We are all products of sex. Um, So just having understanding and reverence for the sensitivity of the topic and trying to approach it in a way that is not like from, from one side coming at another as an attack but being really mindful that you want to get on the same page you want to be side to side to side moving toward this shared objective 
and having a conversation about how you can both do that and what you both need to make that happen. Yes. As far as frameworks, I love the Imago dialogue. So you can Google I-M-A-G-O, which was created mm-hmm. by Dr. Harville Hendricks. It is a framework to navigate potentially charged conversations in a way that both people stay in neutral as much as possible and can be heard, yeah. build closeness. There's also a framework called nonviolent communication. Which mm-hmm. is exceptional. Thank you. Thank you for those those recommendations i will i will definitely also to to check for myself because yeah for me it's always also the most difficult part but it's again tied into this like being too much you know oh my god where this comes to not only sex but in general emotions relationships or your desires in sex or outside of it that's a big part of of what I'm feeling called to myself is addressing exactly, exactly that wound that I also carry the fear of being too much, the fear of being, you know, inconvenient in my expression or, you know, my sexuality being too much or not enough, you know, too much, not yeah. enough. It's all, it's all sort of lumped together. Um, yeah, we all, we all do carry that for sure. That fear of being too much. Are there some other, let's say, societal taboos or stigma that you are trying to address with your work besides what we already discussed? So shame, that we should not shame ourselves for our desires or how our bodies look like um, and basically what we want. And then this concept of being too much or not enough. Is there something else that you, your, your purpose is to change in in society at large or through people, of course, who you teach? I think that women are great forces of creation. Um, and I think that I think that all humans have this capacity, but I think that right now where we are as a collective, I feel like the feminine energy in all of us, regardless of how we identify gender-wise, is being asked to use that creative force in all of us to sort of up-level the collective and that it's forcing us to examine, you know, patriarchal norms. It's forcing us to examine all of these standards that we have subscribed to for so long and that until women can feel free until women are free and they're not shackled by this fear of being too much. That's always going to be a bit stifled and limited. And um, I think it was in our conversation before we hit record. I'll share it now. But I co-created a radical expression ceremony called Women Who Roar a couple of years ago as a one-off because I was having a business meeting with another spiritual entrepreneur. She was craving a space where she could just let her big emotions run wild without fear of them being inconvenient, too loud, judged, shamed, shushed, quiet. And I said, you know, that's really interesting. That sounds amazing. I really want a place where I can wear whatever the fuck I want without apology. And I won't, I will feel safe doing it. I won't be judged. I love, I've loved being naked from the time I was little. And I think that um, 
you know, I spend as much time as naked as possible in spaces where it's acceptable. But there's something really powerful about taking these parts of yourself that have been shamed or that you feel would be shamed and bringing them out into the open and instead they're celebrated. So we decided to create an experience where women could be, you know, big and loud and take up emotional space and like scream and roar and wear whatever the fuck they wanted even if it was nothing at all we called it women who roar it was on the leo full moon in february of 2022 and it changed our lives it changed our lives and we decided to do it quarterly on four full moons every year uh, or at least for the rest of that year we didn't have plans to grow it at that point Mm-hmm. And it changed other women's lives and it's grown. And we did four last year. We have six planned this year. We are doing, uh, we're doing, they're all in Atlanta so far. We have plans to train other women to host these ceremonies um, in different cities and around the world. Because what we hear yeah. from women time and time again is I had no idea how much I needed this. I have reclaimed parts of myself I didn't even know were lost. I feel like, I feel like I was expressing for all of the women in my my ancestry who were not able to who didn't feel safe to and I feel liberated and the ripple effect that has had in their lives how they feel more confident and more self-assured and more loving toward themselves and others in other areas of their lives I get chills thinking about it and I experience it too. I would be at every single one of these ceremonies if I wasn't facilitating them. And I hope to train other people to facilitate them so I can, but they are potent. There's something incredible that happens when you have an experience of something. There's It's one thing to see someone doing something inspiring and to be inspired by them and think, oh, if they can do it, I can too. And it's on a completely different level when you have the experience of already embodying that and you realize, oh, my God, I'm doing this here. That means I can do it everywhere else in the world, too. Like, my, yeah. too, like I'm not actually too much. This is a gift. When I express myself fully, I can, I can give more to others. I can receive more from others. Others can, can know and trust me more. Um, I have more to give to my family. I have more to give to my friendships. There, It sheds resentment that we've all built up over a lifetime of feeling like if we were our full selves, we would not survive. And what we find instead in these curated spaces is that when we show up as our full self, actually we're celebrated and the world wants more. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's so inspiring. And thank you so much for the work you're doing. I'm sure it really helps a lot of women to turn their life around almost because I think it's sex is a very big part of our life and being connected with ourselves is is very, very important. And thank you so much, Winnie, for this podcast. I'm so excited to to talk to you and also everything that you shared. I personally learned so much and I, I will make sure to put all your tips and recommendations in practice and discover more of myself. Uh, Tell us how our listeners can find you and your project online. And of course, I will link everything below. So also as a link, but you can also say it out loud. Yes, I'm most active on Instagram 
Uh, pleasure Sorcery is my handle for the work regarding pleasure and intimacy. Women Who Roar is the community that I reference that is growing. Um, that's the Radical Expression Ceremony for Women. The handles for those are at Pleasure Sorcery and at Women Who Roar. Um, my website is linked through Instagram. Everything is linked through Instagram. You can join the email list through Women Who Roar's Instagram to get updates on ceremonies and plans for expansion, learn about facilitator training, if that's something that you desire bringing to your city. Uh, but Instagram is really the hub for all of it. Yes, I agree. If only it wasn't so censoring. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Darn it. On. I <laughs> wish. Why we're doing the work we're doing. Yeah. Oh, my God. So much, much, so much shaming and shutting down for yes. expression. Yes. Thank well, you for the work that you're doing. And thank you for for being courageous in sharing your story and your experience. I think it's through women sharing their experiences that other women resonate and learn they have permission to to acknowledge theirs and to do something about it. And it cultivates a collective culture of safety. So thank you so much for for inviting this conversation and for doing the important work you're doing. Thank you. It's, yeah, definitely also my my hope and um, I take pride in this to to be the example of how open we all should be. Uh, and also, yeah, just to remind also our listeners, please follow Nympho Life at, at nympho.life on Instagram. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family members, even potentially <laughs> or colleagues or anyone who would be interested. And uh, of course, stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you very much, Whitney. Thank you. It so was much. great.